Welcome to Lead with Less, the podcast for confident professionals, with me, your host, Tash Peterson, Certified Leadership and Mindset Coach. This is the podcast for confident professionals that will help you move through overwhelm, burnout and self-doubt by sharing actionable strategies and practical steps that can have an immediate impact for you. With a mix of solo and guest episodes, I will share everything I've learned and applied over the last decade that has enabled me to create an extremely successful HR career and since then a profitable and thriving coaching business, all while blending it with everyday life and motherhood. I've also coached and empowered over 150 clients through one-on-one coaching and group programs to transform their lives and careers using these strategies. They now confidently thrive as their best selves, and now I want you to have access to all of the goods too. This is the perfect spot if you're new to your career, a seasoned professional, or aspiring into a people leadership role, and want to lead with less so you can live and work with more confidence, clarity, and energy. Hello, hello. Another episode of Lead With Less here with you today. I am so excited about this episode. This is a guest episode with Penny Barton. She used to be my manager when I worked for Crimson, when she hired me as people and performance manager, and we built out the whole human resources function, the people and performance function for Crimson. And Penny has been someone that I have loved watching, has always been a source of inspiration for me in my HR career, mostly because of how she strategically moved step by step in her career to get to people and culture director level in her late 20s and then step into her first CEO role in her early 30s. And I don't always like talking about age. However, I think it's so powerful to acknowledge that we can get to the stages of our career that we want to faster, faster than we thought, faster than maybe what society tells us is, quote unquote, the normal way. And Penny is a real testament to that. So This episode covers so much of her journey, the mindset challenges that she needed to work through and the way that she strategically planned and took steps, step by step, and how she chose the next role to really get where she wanted to go. So I'll just give a little brief introduction to Penny before we kick off with the episode. Penny is the CEO of Crimson Global Academy. A coach and experienced people leader, she is passionate about building high-growth, scalable, and successful organizations. Penny brings with her over 10 years of experience working with some of the fastest-growing global startups in people, culture, and performance roles, while simultaneously running her own business and raising an energetic four-and-a-half-year-old. Honestly, (laughs) when I worked for Penny, I didn't know how she could do it all. She is an entrepreneur by heart, which is why I think she really, really thrives in startup, fast-paced, quick-growing environments. So I'm really excited for you to listen to this. If you are wanting to make big moves in your career, if you're wanting to get inspiration or evidence that you can get to where you want to go in a faster, maybe not necessarily linear way, this is going to be a great episode for you. What I will also share as a caveat is that the sound quality may be a little bit different in this episode. Uh, It's something that we picked up on after the recording was done. So I just wanted to caveat that um, Lara, our amazing 
podcast editor has done a great job to edit it as best she can but I wanted to put that there just in case so I really hope you enjoy it and let's jump in Hello, hello, Penny. Oh, such a dream to have you on the podcast and to be chatting to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I am so excited to be here when you reached out to have me on the podcast. I have to share, but more just, you know, we spend an hour chatting. I'm looking yeah, forward to that. Absolutely. Uh, so Penny was actually quite a big part of my journey into consulting and then into my own coaching practice. She brought me on at Crimson in 2017. I was actually like, went back to like my career history. I'm like, oh my gosh, when actually even was that? It all blurs together. And yeah, you have been quite pivotal, pivotal for me and my growth and you know, me stepping into who I am in this season, even though I'd been in HR for a long time before that point, you were still really pivotal. Why can I not say that word? Pivotal in, yeah, how I continue to step up as an HR professional, but then also, yeah, into my own business and me into being the coach that I am today. But let's go into you. What brought you to this point? So, I brought you on the podcast because I wanted you to share your journey from HR advisor to CEO. And to get us started, what is your career story? What was your journey? What did your pathway look like? And yeah, how did you get to this position, this point? Yeah, so I uh, knew early on that I wanted to go into HR. I think I was one of the few few people probably was sitting out to go, I want to be in HR. This is a great field to be in. Uh, so started out my early career as an HR advisor, HR manager, was fortunate to work in a lot, like in government and then large corporates, which I think are some fantastic training grounds. You have a lot of structure, you have a lot of support, you have incredible people around you who are very experienced and they want to help develop you. So I was fortunate to start out yeah, in that in that government and then corporate space um, where I worked for a number of years and, and worked on the team merger, of course, in telecom, which was one of those huge pieces of work that you look back on now and go, how did someone trust, I think it must have been 21, 22 at that time, how did someone trust a 21-year-old doing this? Um, but must have just been right time, maybe there was a skill shortage at that moment, happened to get in there uh, and had this incredible experience there. Just for context, sorry to, to interrupt there, Penny, but Telecom is now known as Spark. So oh, yes, yes. <laughs> our generation will know what Telecom <laughs> is, but the younger generation will only know Spark. So yes. yes, so Spark used to be Telecom. So when Penny talks about the demer- the the yeah the demerger of Chorus and Telecom, it was huge. So just for context, there. Yes, going from uh, you know a small uh, Chorus was a small company within Telecom now Spark was around. 200 people that operated really as a business unit uh, within it. And then due to winning the contract to roll out fiber, and I guess fiber is now everywhere. That was very the early days where they got the contract to roll out fiber. They needed to separate as an organization. So it went from 200 people to 450 within six months, became publicly listed um, on the NZ Stock Exchange. And then from there, went from 450 to 1,200 people within the space of three years. So wow. being in the team, which was carving out new org design, new values, trying to sort of negotiate with a large entity to get people into your small and growing entity uh, within a very small space of time. Uh, and then and then through that growth from there as we've really set up everything uh, out on our own. So it was one of those pieces of work that 
it's just incredible to be a part of and really set up then that desire to work at this pace, at this speed with with companies that were doing things that were one impactful, but two working at that, uh, yeah, just working at the the pace of the level of autonomy that I became to really, uh, really appreciate. And so from from there, that was where you were starting to hear a little bit more about these technology companies. They were doing some cool things. You know, a lot of them were in Wellington at that point in time, which is where I was. Yeah, you just start to hear about them at, at meetups and get-togethers. And this was early days, but it feels like early days Twitter. And you would see these oh, tech yeah. companies. I, this was back in, yeah, this feels right back in the day now. Uh, and so you, you'd see them on Twitter going, oh, that's some really cool stuff. They're moving really quickly. Their people practices are really, you know, human-centric. You know, just became quite attracted to that and, and what they were trying to deliver, to deliver it out of New Zealand and what they were doing with their people. So to set my sights on, okay, well, I want to move from uh, from this into technology, uh, really aligned. And I've always been quite quite techy, uh, quite uh, nerdy, geeky, for want of a better term. Uh, always looking at you know the newest, shiniest things. If I could, if I could have started out my career in coding, if that was you know bigger for women back in the day, then I feel like I would have gone down the engineering path. So it was really attracted into that space. And so went from uh, moving from chorus into uh, into zero mm. when they were uh, when they were small and, and around five hundred odd people working in their marketing and sales functions, doing people and a mix of other projects. Worth noting at this point also when I was at Chorus, I was sort of starting to set my sights on a CEO role, going, Okay, well, eventually I want my you know, career to progress in that way, just working with some amazing leaders, going, how could I become an executive? And then how could I become a CEO? I think I could, you know, really relish that type of role uh, because they are setting the vision, they're setting the strategy. There's so much people stuff within a CEO role that was really interesting. So I set my sights on it, uh, was told at that point that wasn't going to be a great career move for me. Uh, so put that on the uh, put that on the back burner and kept chasing chasing the people roles. And then was just setting my sights on, okay, well, I'll move into an executive role. I'll move into an executive people role. And then I'm still at that table having those conversations. And that will be a great, a great next step. So went into zero. Uh, from zero, I went to Vend, which was my first chief people officer role. Uh, at that time, as they were re- they were rebuilding the organization after a huge period of change, uh, they were looking to you know take some of those more corporate practices but merge them in with the technology company, uh, but still retain their culture through all of this change. So it had all of those elements of lots of growth, lots of autonomy, but huge change. And so really loved stepping in, uh, stepping into that role and, and doing my first uh, first executive role. And just to ask the controversial question, how old were you as your first CPO role? I think I must have been, I was about 26, 27, mm-hmm. 27 maybe. I was younger than younger than people on my team, which was very daunting, uh, younger than any other executive. Uh, I, I still remember when I got approached for that role, thinking it was a bit of a, almost like a bit of a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely we'll have the coffee this is great you know would love to just meet the people I'd actually uh, applied at the end maybe about a year and a half two years prior as a uh, business partner and didn't get it and now you're like 
you see, you didn't want to hire me as like, as just as an HR professional, but now you want me to be a head of people. <laughs> yeah. That works? So this, oh, are you sure? Uh, and then actually looking back, I think they made the right choice at that time for the, like, for the business partner who went into it. She's fantastic. And so it all actually worked out in the end, but it was just that funny moment of, if I, if I wasn't right, ready at that level, how could I be ready at this level? But thankfully, sort of due to my experience and really the stage they were at, it was quite a natural uh, natural fit with my experience today. Uh, but yeah, it was quite quite young going into that. We can chat a lot about imposter syndrome. Oh, but, we will. Uh, that you know fueled fueled my life and, and kind of everything that I was uh, that I was doing at that point. Yeah, you know, potentially not in a healthy way, but uh, managed to to push through the other side. Uh, and then from then, that was when I met. Uh, Jamie and Chandra, they were in the little office at the front of Ben's office. Uh, met them one day, they sort of reached out. They'd really admired what Ben was doing, the culture, um, and we just want to pick your brains. You know, how can we how can we build this culture? Here is what we're trying to achieve. And I remember just going, wow, they are like, they're absolutely going to achieve that. There is nothing that is going to stand in their way of getting that goal. Some of the most like, driven, ambitious people that I that I have met, but also so malleable. They hadn't worked mm. in other organizations before. They hadn't been leaders. And so they indoctrinated and like institutionalized yeah. of like, this is how you do it. And like, this is what it means to like run policy and structure and all those things. Absolutely. And so they didn't have, and having worked in more corporate environments where it's, we do this and we do it in this way. And you can definitely innovate on some of those elements and find ways to improve it to go from there into a totally green fields. Well, why would we do that? Should we do that? Uh, what is the best way to achieve this outcome? Without having any of that kind of preconceived notions, it was incredible. And being so open to go, well, well, tell us how to do things better or being so open to coaching and being able to find those moments and work with them closely and go, you know, how could we, how could we do this differently? Or this is how you showed up today and, and you're in a leadership role and, and this is the influence you have. So let's unpack that. And then being so open to having those conversations, um, again, kind of coming off the back of being a, a young CPO and now being in this felt like, you know, old, old and wise, really, but being able to sort of guide them through um, those. We were the moments. oldest, weren't we? <laughs> we were. <laughs> we really were. I was, uh, yeah, I remember turning up and being like, cool, okay, yep. Well, I definitely I have the experience. I'm not feeling as much imposter syndrome coming in because I have, you know, now at that point it must have been, you know, maybe about eight years, um, eight years of experience in this people space. So it was feeling pretty, pretty good and being able to coach them and that and them just being so, so spongy. I mean, every leader was just so incredibly spongy um, and the ability to just kind of get in and, and set the tone uh, was great. So I was there for four years, was very clear uh, when I was coming into that, that I wanted to people plus other things, uh, having really grown in this people space when I started there. You know, I'll, I'll do people, but I also want to do, I want to do a little bit of operations. I want to do some kind of general management. Uh, and so found opportunities to get stuck in on, yeah, strategy, finance, managing business units, doing a little bit of marketing, uh, whatever was sort of needed. I was just trying to put the feelers out there to try and build out, uh, build out my experience, knowing that I eventually wanted to move, kind of reset my sights on a COO or a CEO role. So had always had that in mind uh, when I went back to Crimson, which is part of the, the great opportunity uh, of joining them at that stage. 
So, yeah, it was people of, chief people officer and then chief performance officer, which was essentially executive coaching, chairperson of some of the businesses, and did that as I was starting to step into consulting. I should mention, and I just forgot, while I was doing that, I launched Burger Geek and I launched mm-hmm. my own consulting company on the side, sort of between the vending rooms and years. And when I was back at Chorus, I had food trucks. So I'd always had sort of some side hustles on the side um, just to really keep rounding out that experience and getting more because of Because you had so much time, you know. So much time. I think there's something to be said for when you're busy, it just becomes a little bit easier to add, sounds odd, more things on your plate. Like you're already yeah. busy. What's one more thing? You're like, well, yeah, like what's another busy? Like, you know, like it's busy already. <laughs> uh, and this was, this was pre-children pre as well. And I look back on pre-children years and I'm glad that I really, I did a lot in that time because Mm. I definitely had times where I didn't do a lot. And, you know, there was actually a lot of time I probably could have used more strategically, (laughs) Uh, whereas now there is not a lot of time left in the day because that all goes to to Hunter pretty much. So uh, I was glad that I I did did that, Um, yeah, did that in that period of time. And then from there, I went to uh, No Issue. Uh, which is a sustainable packaging e-commerce company. Uh, again, technology-led, New Zealand-founded, doing something great on the world stage, wanted to you know, really set the tone and build a great culture and, and organization and, and grow really quickly. So joined there as their chief people officer and chief of staff. So again, it was people, plus, 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 a uh, bit, of, bit of ops, bit of strategy, bit of finance really everything um you know internal comms external relations whatever whatever was needed really operating as the right hand person to the founders throw me whatever you don't have capacity for uh and i'll and i'll run with that so a really great training ground to continue moving towards the ceo role and they knew when i started that was you know i was setting my sights on that i wanted to get there in the next kind of five years so I will kind of do a mix of everything and, and just keep throwing me stuff. So uh, was was there for a couple of years and then uh, the Crimson Opportunity came back up and having been part of the early days of setting up Crimson Global Academy in the school, I was really excited to come back and then, you know, to step into the CEO role where it feels like kind of the best of both worlds. I get that autonomy and that ability to set the vision and strategy but still within an ecosystem that I know really well. Uh, so it still feels like there's a bit of a safety net alongside it. So there's still lots of opportunity to learn. There's a lot of opportunity to go, it's my first time doing it. I'm not sure how to do this. Can someone help me? Uh, and not needing to necessarily have all the answers just yet and really continue developing into it. So yeah, here, here we are now. That's kind of roughly the HR advisor through CEO journey. I'm sure I have missed stuff off along the way, but that is broadly it. No, that's awesome. That's amazing. And what would you say that what's that that time span? What twelve years? Thirteen years? Twelve? Thirteen years? Because we're the same age. And yeah. It was I finished uni in twenty ten. Yeah. Thirteen years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes, about Mm thirteen years. Yeah. Gosh, just hearing you talk when you're like back in the day, I'm like, oh God, that is so us now. (laughs) That is us. Do you remember yeah? Uh, the HR events on Twitter, that was just, yes. that was a, in that tech era, was, you know. The newness of everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, the time, the simplicity And now of we can just be, you know, old and old and slightly jaded uh, as one gets <laughs> in the HR profession. But um, yeah, 13 years. I 
buy and borrow with years and dates. And people are like, oh, what here were you at that company? I'm like, mm, let me go to my LinkedIn, which I actually have like, pulled up right now because I cannot for the life of me remember uh, that whole that whole time period. So Yeah, I'm absolutely the same. And also just, you know, just to, I guess, put that into context, like someone would spend 20 years getting to, to CEO. So I guess like that, also speaks to the time that we live in, just like how fast things are moving, how adaptable and ever-changing you need to be and how if you can be really strategic or really understand who you are and what you really want, how quickly you can make things move. So I've got some questions on that as well, but I just want to go back to a point in your story where I think you were at zero and you had spoken about, I want to be CEO, that's where I want to go. And you had said, someone said, I don't think that's a good move for you. You should stay in the people space. At the time where you heard that, what did that do to you? Like, what did that feel like in that moment? And like, was there any mindset stuff you had to do in order for that to become a driver versus a blocker? I remember the version of myself at that point in time. And I do actually agree with the person who said it. That version of me would not, would not have been good at it like I was not particularly confident I really leaned into this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy of I'm an introvert and so I'm going to be quiet I'm not going to speak up I'm going to let all the extroverts speak first like a lot of things at that point in time where it's just yeah I was introverted uh so started to confuse it with a little bit of shyness uh I'm not a good public speaker you know there was a lot at that that just sort of compounded and I can imagine for this person going well, this is quite a quiet, meek person over there who wants to be CEO. That's, you know, she's not going to enjoy it. She's not going to enjoy delivering, you know, the type of feedback. And there is a lot of talking externally, public speaking, presenting, you know, the meetings, the interview. Like there is so much that goes with that that I can imagine that they, you know, uh, that the person they would have seen, it was just such a disconnect. And so I guess where I really, set my sights on is sort of at each point I went okay well what is like what can I be the best at in my field um, so in that space it was it was people there was a real gap uh, around ER sort of a combination of ER and OD and if I think about you know as people are building out their career I, I really subscribe to people building out like a unique uh, skill stack for them um, and trying to go after the strategy of if you can build your skills in the most unique way then you're not necessarily competing with others because i'm not if i could compete with someone with 20 years experience um i need to set myself apart so i need to create like the most unique combination of skills that i can to continue my development uh, so at that point in time it was organizational development and er employment relations employment relations yes uh so two completely you know separate fields of normally two separate divisions are like great i'm just going to go deep in both of those areas because that's kind of a skill set that i don't see other people hold together they hold one or the other um so i'm just going to focus on on developing in those two areas and that's going to help me move into my next people role and went with the, the strategy of okay well if it's not ceo i'm just going to focus on my next role in the people space what would set me apart in that field and then go after that. So I did a secondment and secondment and OD whilst holding my generalist role uh, to to kind of develop in that area, which then set me up for you know eventually the zero role and then the vend role. You know that's two two skill sets that really held held strong there. Um, and throughout that time, continue to push myself on, you know, getting out of my comfort zone 
and public speaking. And I was trying to commit to, I started my uh, practice I still hold today, which is trying to have coffees or conversations with about two people per week uh, in my network. So just started to build up my network that way and get a little bit more confident around you know, just meeting meeting new people. That sounds very shy person of me, but meeting new people uh, and then also putting myself out there. So I started running workshops, put my hand up to run like all of these company workshops. Sort of by the end of that, having run like 150 workshops, you get much better at public speaking. Put my hand up to present uh you know, whatever needed presenting in the team, I was like, okay, I'm going to put my hand up for that and just starting to like build more confidence in those areas to just try and, and get out of my comfort zone a little bit um, and then reset my sights on it later as I became a lot more, you know, confident and outspoken and the more networking you do and you meet other people who are in these roles and you go, and this sounds really arrogant, but like, I think I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, what you're describing, I do elements of that. I think I could do it. And so just meeting more and more people in this field or have done these roles or been from a CEO into other roles, the more people you meet, the more comfort you feel. And like, okay, I could do this. I could do that, but I could do it in my own way. Whereas, you know, prior to that point and when I put out my CEO goals, like I didn't, I hadn't known a lot of CEOs. So um, also, you know, took that with, you know, took that one size fits all. That wasn't me. I'll go a different path. And then eventually the more people I met in this space, I went, okay, I can, you know, shout out my path, yeah. I love that. There's, oh my God, there's so much gold in, in just that that little snippet of your story. First of all, I really love what you said around how can I be my best in my field? So instead of going, oh, okay, well, I'll never be a CEO. What's the point? Like, let me just keep working. You were able to go, okay, well, like, well, it's sit and reflect and be like, okay, well, what is this person actually saying? What can I take from this person? Instead of making it mean something like I'll never be CEO. Oh, okay. You know, because I'm quiet or I'm introverted or, you know, I'm not confident. I could never do that. It's like, okay, well, what is my unique skill set? What can I bring to the table? What can I develop? And turn that into a driver and a self-motivator to make it be like, okay, well, if that is still something I do want, it may not be right now. What are the things that will set me apart and make me more valuable? Like maybe make me more, yeah, make my skill set more appealing. Really, really love that. And the other thing that you also said that I really loved is you didn't play into the quietness, the introversion, because I, I actually have a, a dedicated episode on being powerful as an introvert, being, you know, talking about the misconceptions of introversion. Introversion is not about being shy. It's not about not being charismatic. I'm an introvert. No one would look at me and be like, really? Like, you love talking. Like, we both ran the HR meetup. I've spoken at conferences. I run workshops. Like, I literally talk for a whole living to people. I love going to networking events. But all it is is that we love to recharge solo. Mm. We need time away from all of that expenditure of energy to recharge. Like That's all it is. It doesn't mean that you're shy. It doesn't mean that you're not confident. However, speaking up, being charismatic, you know, taking on those opportunities, stretching, that takes practice. That takes a building of confidence, which is what I love. What you talked about, it's like, well, I'm going to put my hand up. You know, like I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put myself out of, uh, out of my, side of my comfort zone. I'm going to grow and I'm going to stretch in that space of going, okay, well, it's not about. And I, and I think one thing I just really want to preface here, it's not changing who you are, but it's about looking at how can I strengthen myself 
and the aspects of myself that could help me move to the next level. You know, um, like you could have taken that feedback from that person and be like, well, that's just the truth. That's just everything that's true about who I am as a person. And that's all I'm going to ever be versus, okay, well, what's, what are aspects in there that I want to grow on or develop or stretch? And I think that's, what's really important. I mean, we both coached on feedback. <laughs> we could talk about feedback to the ends of the earth, but that's probably one big thing for everyone to take away is be discerning hmm. and be very self-reflective when you do get feedback it's not always equal but there can be really great insights you can take from that to help you get to that next stage absolutely and I think if I look back at that point in time public speaking is just one example I was operating from this fear really of of public speaking and putting myself out there the more you do it and sort of set that goal and the more you do it and they have that experience of, oh, actually that wasn't so bad or I had good feedback or nothing bad happened from doing it and just keep creating this kind of cycle, the easier it becomes, the more confident you feel. So for some of the pieces of feedback, I've definitely got to say, okay, well, I'm just going to try it. You know, put myself out there, try small things and just you need to put yourself out there to get that kind of nice kind of feedback loop. Otherwise, it's so easy to become kind of, weighed down with I can't do it or I'll never be good at this or this person in my team is such a good public speaker they should do it um, and I've been fortunate to work alongside some great people as well who I've said early on this is my development area and they also hold me accountable to I'm going to put you forward for that conference or I'm not going to speak you're going to speak and so also being quite open around this is a development area for for me and sharing that with mentors sharing that with your team uh, and so they also you know help help find those opportunities for you not just carrying it all yourself yeah I love that and that's definitely one thing I appreciate about you when you brought me in to Crimson the first time you were there you yeah brought me in as people and performance manager you brought me in to help you build the people space and that was a new area for me it was definitely where I needed to be at that stage of my career but also yeah one of the things that you did very well was you knew development areas and you made sure that people stretched in them you did not let anyone be like oh, don't worry, like you can just do it next quarter or like, oh, just do it next time. You're like, nope, this is you. What do we need to make it happen? And and I think that that's, that's like the key part here. It's like you can wait and you can wait and you can wait and you can wait for, you know, more study or the next certification or the next this or the next training course or whatever. But it's like only getting an action is going to get your confidence built. Only getting action is going to get the, the skill practice. Like that's it. Um. So what would you say would, be the biggest the biggest challenges that you really had to work through across your career or you know you don't even maybe you don't need to go back to the beginning but maybe over the last like the second half you know what would you say maybe we can go back to the imposter syndrome that you brought up you know yeah I guess what would be your biggest challenges that you had to really navigate making really strategic moves across your career yeah one of the biggest challenges was absolutely the age and imposter syndrome I would find every way possible at that point in my career to avoid any questions that would kind of time stamp you for one of mm -hmm. a for one of a better term. Because I knew as I guess not that I knew, my sort of assumption was as soon as people knew that, they would, you know, doubt what you meant to say or doubt your experience. And so the amount of fear I had in daily conversations that like would date you essentially and um, that I just tried to avoid at all costs and um, so I was already battling with at that point in time this you know who am I to be here there's all these experienced people so that was definitely one 
small kind of artifact of that imposter syndrome I had to uh, had to deal with and, and overcome and uh, what else would there be I mean another one was just sort of managing I really don't like the term balance uh, managing my energy for want of a better term when you have that fear or you have that imposter syndrome I would try and read everything possible I would try and start to date on everything I would work all hours that were required. So you overcompensated by yeah. <laughs> more knowledge, more skills, more, yeah. Yeah, just more, more, more everything, um, which is funny because up until that point, I'd taken a more strategic, you know, these are my unique skills. And then I first got into that exec role and I went, I've got to do more, 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 which isn't isn't necessarily healthy as opposed to taking, you know, when I sort of stepped from there into the Crimson role, taking more of a reflective, okay, what what's my unique skills and what am I going to hone in on rather than trying to be all things to all people all of the time, um, which just came from like, that experience of having done that role. So imposter syndrome would have been a big one. Um, another challenge that I've always faced is leading a team. It's nice to hear some some lovely things from you, so thank you for that. But I've always struggled with like with that, or again, it's kind of this imposter syndrome, but leading leading other people, feeling that huge weight for their development, so that like to hold them to account, to develop them, to make sure they're having a great time. I mean, you see all the research, which is people's you know performance at work, their engagement at work is directly impacted by their manager and having that kind of pressure of how am I showing up? Uh, what are my interactions like today? I'm not feeling in a great mood. Am I going to pass that on to my team? Like there is so much weight that you actually carry in leading a team and then eventually getting more comfort with, you know, being your kind of authentic self and knowing, you know, some days you're not going to be your best and that's okay. And it's, you know, as long as you are honest and transparent and, and you can work with your team on that. But I carried so much weight in those early days of I'm trying to build something great and I need the best team. I need the most engaged team. Um, how do I show up for them? So I'm, imposter syndrome leading a team uh and then yeah just that sort of balance juggling everything doing my own sort of side hustles on the side starting businesses you know a lot of that comes with ebb and flow and your own like relationship as well uh, i've been married for a long time now but during those times like that kind of goes to the back burner because work is a priority and so on so those would be some of the things that i've a non-exhaustive list of uh, things that I've chuckled or, you know, challenges I've had. Yeah. And I mean, everyone could relate to that. I'm listening to that. I'm like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> All of the things. I mean, we're the same age and it was the same for me. I remember stepping into my first senior people and performance manager role and I was like, no, like this is to be a fluke that I got this job. It yeah. was like 20K pay bump. I was like, oh yeah. my God, this is crazy. And it was like the first day on the job, I was like, I don't know anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's such a toxic trait to like overcompensate with, you know, well, I have to learn more. I have to be more and all these things where it's like, well, where did that value go that got you to this point? It just didn't disappear yeah. into thin air. It didn't just vanish. And that's the thing like that I spend so much time working with clients on it's you know we're so scared about being limited by age from other people but we're actually subconsciously doing that to ourselves like we're limiting ourselves by saying well I'm only 26 how could I be here it's like well I'm 26 I've gotten here what's all of the stuff behind me that's brought mm. me to this point like you know it's that perspective of how are we looking at ourselves are we you know and how we look at ourselves then influences how then people 
see us in return because that then influences how we show up it you know then influences like well do I have confidence in what I'm about to say like you know all of those things and it, and that then in and of itself also becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy it's like we either self-fulfill the good or we self-fulfill the bad it's just which way are we choosing to point ourselves right so yeah I really love that recognition of the the overcompensating because I know that that's probably what a lot of people listening are doing to some extent if there is imposter syndrome related to age related to experience all of those things and one of the one of the key things I my mantra is like everyone has value to offer it doesn't matter what your age is it doesn't matter what your level of experience is everyone has value to offer and if someone doesn't respect that anyone has value to offer they're the ones that's missing out on the value they're the ones that's you know blocking that growth and and who says that a ceo with 50 years experience is quote-unquote better than a ceo with one year of experience you know it's like what time are we living in is that is is their way of thinking is their perspective is their view of the world actually what's needed right now versus someone who's been here for 50 years you know all of those things it's just what are we focusing on what's the what is the perception that we want to create or the assumption we want to make about ourselves so i really 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 love that and with the the blend <laughs> i call it the blend i don't like the balance because balance tends to be something else that we're striving for it tends to be something else that we're trying to make work and trying to make perfect and which it's just not right like you you already actually said that in your in your story where you said you know sometimes work is the priority you know it's like there's the seasons and the phases right of where energy goes and and how we manage that so how do you blend it all together you've got a son you've got side hustles you've got a marriage you're a ceo you you know probably a friend just because you're an introvert doesn't mean you don't have any friends <laughs> <laughs> i like to go probably a friend um, <laughs> well you've got me so that counts right <laughs> that's good it is i mean it's really i like to think and and you know being a being a parent you just can't take any time for for granted so i sort of prioritize on a daily or weekly basis like this is going to be my priority this week or you know sitting down with my on a Sunday and going like next week I'm just going to be all work like how can we just operate the house and everything else so that I'm just not around <laughs> because I can tell you by looking ahead that's just going to be my uh, my focus and we sort of plan through what that might be for the week or it might even be on the day because things you know come up all the time and given he is self-employed and running the businesses he also has the same be like you know the next two weeks like I'm going to be all focused on work so owning where you are where you are at and where your priority um, areas are and then just trying to carve out okay well, if that's a priority you know can we carve out any time for anything else or like you know how do we fit in like pickups and drop-offs for daycare and things in amongst that um and just you know kind of working working through that um, so really clear prioritization i try and yeah compartmentalize i feel like when you also try and do like oh today I've got to do this on my side hustle I've got to do this and everything it becomes really overwhelming but like for the next eight hours I'm all work my phone is off I'm just 110 percent focused on work and then after that depending on how I'm feeling and where my energy is at I'm going to do like 
X and then I'm going to do Y after that. Um, but it can feel like a lot as well when you try and just be like, okay, well, I've got to do all these things. So maybe in my lunch break, I'll just like send that email off or you know, I'll book in the school visit at midday today and like try and, and blend all of that. I work under the, this is my kind of focus area. I'm only doing this for this next block of time. I'm going to achieve that. And then I'll move on to the next thing. But I, I used to try and blend everything together and it just became overwhelming and trying to drop one thing at context switch and you know mm. everything it becomes a lot to a lot to juggle so i'd go with that i can just semi focus uh even if my husband can't get a hold of me uh for a few hours he knows that that's i'm just in the middle of that focus zone so we'll come back up for air after um after that yeah i love that and i mean what you're essentially talking about is deep work right which is a concept yep. um by carl newport and i'll put that book in the show notes but Great book. yeah just like having dedicated time to do important work where nothing and where nothing else can distract you and, I, and that's one of the biggest problems of our current era of work it's like we're never off like we never have solace like we never are solitary in order to actually be uh, I think it was maybe like six years six or seven years ago I was listening to a podcast from a sports psychologist and one line that he said was forget balance be present mm. and I that changed everything for me and it was when we are present moment to moment everything is actually perfect in that very moment where things become unhinged just because it's like oh we're thinking about the next five things we're thinking about the next five you know the next five hours ahead of time where it's like you're here right now can you just do what you're doing in this moment and that becomes a lot more challenging when you do have, you know, children and things like that, because it does become a lot harder to fully be present if that support network isn't in place to be like, mm. okay, well, you know, it's Kyle's day to be on call for Jake at daycare. So I actually have the ability to fully switch off and, and be there. But on the days that I'm not, it's like, I know that there's going to be an element of distraction to some extent mm. because I need to be on for that call or whatever but being able to recognize like okay when is that deep work when is that distraction free time and that is a choice this is like the other thing right like you talked about it you you, you communicate it's like this is what the next week looks like what does it look like to make that work what does it look like to make that work for me so I can be my best what is it that you need for you to be your best and then how can we put that together so that our life gets our best right communication yeah. but also it's created the one thing that I hear a lot from people, it's like, oh, when I find time or like, oh, mm. when it when it works, it's like, it's never going to work. There's never going to be this time where everything just like slots in perfectly, like where your kid isn't sick and like you don't have deadlines and your period hasn't just started and you're about to have a fight with your husband. Like there isn't like this perfect yeah. time where like these things aren't happening, but it needs to be created time. It doesn't mean it's always going to go perfectly or it's going to go the way that you quote unquote created it. But there is more, there is more chance of it going that way if it is created, if there's an intention behind it and a purpose behind it. Like, would you say that that's what really makes a difference for you? Absolutely. I've definitely got caught in that, oh, well, next week is going to be easier. Next week is going to be better, uh, which we just all fall into that trap. And I always challenge myself of, if I was to have made this a priority this week, what would I have done differently? Or if I was to have made time for it in this current week I'm in or in this current day I'm in, what does that look like? Um, because we always go with the like, oh, well, next week it'd be easier or like next week, like all of the drop-offs are going to go on time and like nothing bad is going to happen. Like this week is probably a reasonably accurate reflection of where you're at or where your day is, um, you know, in the middle of your day. 
Um, so what would it look like? How would I make time today to make sure that those things happened? And trying to work with it in a much more present approach mm. uh, rather than everything is going to get better. And I really subscribe to um, the Atomic Habits um, work. I just, I love that in terms of like doing one small thing and just adding in like small habitual things in your day rather than trying to, you know, everything is going to change next week. I'm going to be a completely different person next week. Or just try to do the big thing. It's like, oh, I'm going to yeah. do an hour of gym every single day. It's like, well, could you do five Definitely. minutes of walking though? Props. Exactly. And if you look at, okay, well today, if, you know, going to the, you know, going to the gym was a priority for me today, I went for 20 minutes. But you know what? I went and I took that off and I made time for it. And that, you know, just continues to build, um, continues to build from there. So um, yeah, trying to kind of break things down into the smallest kind of block of time you know, to, to achieve them and being really present um, in that if it's your current day, current week and like make time um, for things, which I agree like, is is a choice to do. Um, but we always kind of go, well, next week it's going to be different and I'm going to be able to do this giant thing and everything is going to change when we think of it in these big, you know, big milestones, but like break it down into really small what can I do, you know, today or this week or how would I make time for it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And the kind of the same thing goes like career-wise as well, right? It's like, oh, the next job will be better. Like, yeah, <laughs> probably one of my most controversial lines is like, it's not your job that's burning out, burning you out. It's the lack of boundaries with your job that burns you out because every job has a to-do list. Every job has deadlines. Every job has things you don't like. Every job will ask more of you than you can give. But what have you got in place to make that manageable for you? Or, you know, the boundaries that you have in place to make you, well, to enable you to show up as your best, you know, and such a big part of that is self-creation and like, and self-leadership, right? Like being able to own that for yourself. What does that look like? What is, you know, core question, like, what does it look like for me to be my best? And then what are the things I need in place in order for that, in order to facilitate that happening? doesn't mean it's always going to happen day to day, but also that conditional way of living is stressful, like, oh, next week will be better, so then I'll start the gym or then I'll yeah. start the, the healthy eating. And if one thing parenthood flipping slaps you in the face is like, nothing gets easier. There's just different things that change. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this one thing got easier, but then this thing got a lot more challenging. So it's like you're in this perpetual cycle of like, oh, but when the teething finishes, oh, life will be bliss. Oh, no, because then they really come into their own personality-wise and then there's the pushback and the challenge yeah. and like the next thing or whatever. Um, you know, best analogy for life. But yeah, that conditional way of living is so dangerous of next week, tomorrow, next job, you know, whatever, next relationship, all of those things. Because it's mm. like you can't control that. Yeah. But you can control the way you show up right now. You can control the way that you utilize time even if it's in the smallest micro moments of time. You don't have to control your 24 hours if that feels impossible right now. But can you control the next five minutes? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what does that look like to show up? What does that look like in terms of what you need to do? What needs to be ticked off? Yeah. Oh, there's a whole thing I can go into there. <laughs> I've really loved this conversation. I know that there's so many bits and pieces. I think I'm going to bring you back to talk about unique skill set because I think that that is going to be something that we probably need to dive into a bit more. But if you have top of mind, I know you've shared some things already, but do you have three to five tips, tools, or strategies that listeners can use 
to start being more strategic in their career moves. Like, And when I say strategic in career moves, I don't necessarily mean that listeners, you have to be on a trajectory to CEO or, you know, I used to think I was going to be HR director and now like I could not think of myself in that role, but I've made strategic decisions to be able to be who I am now and how I run my life now. So yeah, like this isn't necessarily you have to have a linear pathway or, you know, anything like that, but is there anything that you can share that can help people become more courageous and a little bit more strategic in their decision-making for their careers? The first one would be doing that current stock take. I mean, we've talked about it's always really, you know, my next role, my next job, when I pick up that next thing, like we're always sort of looking forward. But actually going back and going, you know, what's got me to where I am today? What are my strengths? And, you know, just owning it. I've definitely had... Uh, done coaching work in the past and went, oh, I don't really know what my strengths are. Like, I don't really have any because um, it's really awkward to talk about yourself in that way, right? Um, so if you can't do it yourself, get like a, a good friend or someone who's going to hold you accountable and tell you what your strengths are if you're not ready to kind of step into that light yet. Um, but just kind of acknowledge where you are right now and then start to think, okay, well, if, you know, if I was looking at this, kind of skill set and I was advising a friend like where would I say some of their like unique skills and experience are and and you know what could they continue to develop and um sometimes it's easier to think about you know the advice you would give a friend and so kind of get your skills and your strengths and your experience together and then perhaps kind of view it through like what advice would I give to someone with this um because sometimes it's hard to give that to yourself but just recognize where you are right now because everyone has and you touched on it earlier everyone has you know, experience of value. Everyone has strengths. Everyone has stuff that they are doing really well at. They may be the only person in the team who can do a certain task, but have never actually stopped to go, oh, wait, I am the only person mm. that can do that. Um, you just get so caught up and going, oh, for the next role, I need this. So just stop and reflect on where you are right now. Where are your skills? Where are your strengths? What is that experience that's got to where you are? And then think about like, what are the elements that I really enjoy of where I am right now? And start to hone in when you have, when you develop in areas that you enjoy doing, like it is much easier to continue to develop in those areas going, uh, you know, if you love working with people, for instance, and I'm just going to you know, generalize, you love working with people and you're like, well, the next role, I need to be really good at data and spreadsheets. And then you start just working in that space and you're like, this is dry and boring and I hate it. This and is so the you're worst. not doing your best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But actually going, okay, well, should I develop more on this other side first? Or how can I bring that to this like data and spreadsheets where like, how could I find ways that, you know, allow me to measure, you know, in the people space, like measure engagement, right? Like that is data, but it's also an area I love and it's much easier to develop in those sort of overlapping areas. Well, it's connecting the dry thing to the yeah. bigger purpose, right? Exactly. Yeah. And um, so thinking about your development in that, um, in that way um would be one another tip would be um and it's not just a, a plug for tash but just investing in coaching even a couple of coaching sessions someone holding that space for you is so rare like you know when you're having conversations with friends you know everyone's sort of got their own agenda or you know half listening to it but like a coach is there to get the best out of you and so you know every time that i've had coaching you just step away even if it's 30 minutes and go wow that was just like I've come so far, I can think through this. You get some frameworks for your thinking. Uh, it's so powerful. So thinking about where you are right now, uh, your strengths, your experience, your skill set, investing um, 
you know, and a coach. It doesn't need to be all the time. doesn't need to be a big program. Just, you know, try it. You know, try one or two sessions with a couple of different people and see how it see how it lands. Um, and then another tip or two. This is one that I actually uh, learned from you. It's like burnt into my burnt into my brain. Um, is when you start your day. If you start your day with email or Slack, so you're essentially starting your day with someone else's to do list. And that just is always kind of whirring in my mind. So if you're thinking about your career development, if you find that your day starts like that, again, you're not prioritizing yourself. Um, and so starting their day with an intentionality, what is my big priority today? What is the one big thing I need to get done for me to feel, you know, to tick things off, but also to have had an impact and to feel progress in my day. Um, and starting there because you just start to, again, the more runs you get on the board, the more confident you feel, um, you know, the more likely you are to pick up more things and, and so on, um, or pick up different kind of pieces of work. So you feel like you're making progress but that's one that I learned from you that just every morning, it's just right there. There's still like tashism uh, that I that I have. So I'm sure I have more. That is just three. No, three I top love of that. Mind. And that's, that's such easy things to, well, I don't like necessarily using easy, but they're such simple things to start mm. with because they don't always necessarily feel easy. But yeah, I just like want to reiterate like that. The first one of just doing the stock take, where am I at? is so, so pivotal because often we think the next thing is going to solve mm. like it's going to solve the gap or bridge the gap or it's going to be the answer to everything but if you don't know where you are and where the gaps currently are or if those gaps are even true for you because often if they're perceived gaps of like oh I need this and I need to do that it's like but is that true for you or is that just what you're seeing or is that an assumption you're making so that stock take is so pivotal of getting really clear about where you're at and what does the next step actually look like for you mm. and you know even just having conversations with yeah like a coach or you know a trusted mentor or someone who sees the possibility within you I think that's the key here someone who sees the possibility within you is really important because they can help to challenge your thinking and really help you to to be truthful with yourself you actually said that this is something I was meant to touch on earlier on the very beginning you said when you started talking to people and they started sharing about what they did and you had thoughts of, I can do that. And you're like, it's so like, it sounds so arrogant of me because I thought I could do that. This is something I always want to touch on because arrogance is thinking you're better than someone else. Confidence is knowing that you are great at what you do. And so is someone else. Yeah. So that moment of going, I can do this. That's a confidence moment. That's a recognition. That's not arrogance. It's not saying like, oh, I can do this better than you. <laughs> you suck. Yeah. So that's just something I also just wanted to reiterate for people of, yeah, it's not arrogant to acknowledge what you're great at, what you're good at, what your skills are, what your strengths are. So just want to really anchor that one in there. There's also some free quizzes as well that I'll pop in the show notes of like, you can do the high five strengths test. You can do the Gallup strengths test. You can do MBITI testing as well. Like just all of these things just to give you some different perspectives of yourself as well. And um, yeah, the coaching, I would say that this is something you did really well for me. I remember when I started my coaching certification and I had a lot of doubt that came up and I was like, I don't know. And like, I don't know if I can be a coach. And you just always used to challenge and reflect back to me and question. And that's what coaching is. Like, you never told me the answers or this, that, or the other thing, you know, you would give me things to act on and, and all of that, but you were such a great mirror and such a great challenger. And that's what the value of coaching is it's mm. someone who isn't involved in your life someone who isn't invested in you you know the way that your partner or your friends or your family might be 
that invested in you stretching to your potential and that's what yeah the value of mentoring and coaching can be really powerful for and I love that last one I love that that's a little Tashism <laughs> it's like it's probably like my my mission in life is like how many people can I get to say what would Tash say in this moment <laughs> okay well there's there's your one uh, for sure I'm sure there are other ones I have that one if you start your day like that yeah. it really it's I, be, I believe between that and I, I'm quite intentional about how I structure my day outside of that and, you know, my time blocking and my Pomodoros and, you know, uh, the kind of sequence in which I do things. But, you know, just take control of your day. or As you mm. said, take control of the next five minutes. Yeah. Take control of the next 10 minutes. Game It is amazing what that actually feels like to not just be chasing around, like, you know, chasing your tail because someone else put you in that space and thinking that's what work can be once you really take ownership of it. Yeah, game changer. Yeah, I love that one. Love that one. Amazing. Thank you so much. So just to close off, the staple questions I have for all guests, quick fire questions that I love asking, what is your number one energy filling practice that you do consistently? Oof. Uh, so firstly, I don't think anything uh, that I've really stuck with, like the practice being consistent. I think what is consistent is always thinking you know, each day, what can I do that's going to give me more energy? And so I always consistently have time for that, but the practice itself uh, changes. So it could be journaling, it could be practicing gratitude, it could be watching reality TV, which sometimes is just actually fills me with energy. Um, at the end of the day, it could be the gym, it could be, you know, just taking 10 minutes and, and playing games with Hunter. It's a real, like a real mix. I think what is consistent is I prioritize doing things that will kind of fill me with energy um, and having a small portion of time each day that I do that but what that actually is is different and I try not to go you know if I just enjoyed cooking something for instance actually I felt great from that then I'm not going to be like oh well now I've got to sit down and journal um it's like actually that activity that I just did gave me energy um so sort of thinking about it in in that way the practices are always a little I love that. And we actually talked about this uh, before we hit record. Yeah. Penny's like, oh my God, I was like thinking about the, the answer to this question. And I actually agree. And that's what I share with clients. It's not about doing the exact same thing every single day. It's about showing up for yourself every single day. It's about showing up for the time to fill the energy. And what I recommend is like having a menu. I call it the self-care menu of like five things so that your choice, you have, an, you have your choice options. So you're not then spending energy trying to decide what you're going to do. But the consistency is the showing up of for the five minutes or the 10 minutes or the 20 minutes. Like I don't do the same thing every single day because I don't feel the same every single day. So journaling on one day isn't necessarily going to give me what I need on another day, but I have something else that I might choose. So I really love that. Um, so I love that that's what you do. And also what can you realistically create time for? not waiting for mm. time to show up. This is the really yep. key part here. Okay, next question. What is the one mindset reminder you focus on to boost your confidence? Okay, this might sound a little bit naff, but I'm hoping that those that listen to your podcast will just embrace it anyway. So I touched earlier on the words uh, that imposter syndrome, a lot of it driven by fear. Uh, so I have my daily affirmations that I do, but one of them specifically is like my top one that I every day. I just say in my head, it's just, I am fucking fearless. And it's like my one mantra 
every day that I start with. And I just feel that it gives me that energy to reply to that email or challenge that conversation or whatever. Like if I'm a person that is fearless, like what does that look like? Um, so that is one that I that I kind of use every day. I love that. That I mean, that embodies what James Clear talks about in Atomic Habits. This book has probably come up in every guest interview so far. It's like <laughs> it's gonna be I need to get an affiliate link for this book. Um yeah, it's like decide who you want to be and show up, you know, and and be that person every day. So it's like if I'm someone who's fearless, what does a fearless person do in this moment? How does a fearless person respond to this? You know, how does a fearless person take the next step? I really love that. Like, yeah, who do you want to be and being that person through your daily action? Love that. And what is one boundary that you uphold that supports you to be your best? This is a tricky one. That one boundary is that it's probably that that time blocking that is, you know, Pomodoro techniques during the day or like, you know, blocks of time. I will switch off Slack. I will switch off text. I will switch off everything. I really enjoy like Slack and text messages and like instant gratification of replying to things. And that's one thing over time of, you know, I need to hold that boundary. I'm going to get sucked into other conversations and important things. And so that for me is my, when I'm focused on work, I switch, yeah, everything off. I switch my phone off, switch emails off, all notifications everywhere and just do whatever that task is that I'm trying to do. Um, without that, yeah, I would struggle to <laughs> struggle to make time for anything. And the same when I'm when I when I'm at home and I don't do it for the the whole evening. Uh, but if I am in this moment and I'm just going to do this one thing, and you know maybe we're having dinner or something with Hunter, uh, I will switch off everything as well. And again, like that is my block of time. That is what I'm focused on. Um, so that would be my kind of main main boundary that I set. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so, so important because, yeah, if you don't make time, it'll never come. So, yeah, I love that. And I, I couldn't agree more with the instant gratification thing because <laughs> everyone loves to do projects. Like everyone has this like great idea of doing projects, but projects take time. Yeah. Right. Projects take time. It's not instant gratification. It's a lot of work. And the emails and the slacks and stuff just always feels a little bit more appealing. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, got rid of that notification. Oh, yeah. You know, and the next thing you're like, oh, no wonder that project is still sitting there and I literally have done nothing on it because, yeah. yeah, again, we're not making time for it. So I love that. That deep work, that focus time is, it's the biggest antidote to procrastination. Yep. If you have clear focus, you have clear objectives of what that block of time is meant for, you will make moves. Yeah. If people, like you can, you can wait, someone can wait 25 minutes for a response, right? Like if you message someone and they responded within like within an hour that would be great right but we seem to hold ourselves to this like instant instant oh my gosh the sky is falling because it's been five minutes so everyone can wait 20 minutes at least for you to just focus on one thing yeah and I think we technology has made us warp the definition of emergency and urgency like everything Mm. is now urgent like sorry but do you work in an emergency room are you a doctor like sorry but that person can wait like they really can uh, and again like is the choice you're making right now aligned with what you keep saying is important because that's really what it comes back to so or oh, more more to talk about in that whole thing but <laughs> yeah amazing thank you so much penny uh where can people get in touch with you if they love this episode if they want to connect with you where is the best place for you my main go-to would be linkedin probably 
um, yeah, reach out to me on LinkedIn. I don't really do social media or, you know, much outside of that. So uh, LinkedIn would be my go-to. Perfect. Amazing. So if you enjoyed this episode, please let us know. Connect with Penny on LinkedIn, send her a message or message me as well. If there's anything else you would like to know about Penny or if you want her to come back on to talk about anything specific uh, as well, let me know and I will sure I can rope her in again. Um, (laughs) So yeah, thank you so much, Penny. This was amazing. It was such a great chat. I know that people are going to get a lot from it, even if it is the possibility that you can make things happen quickly and not be blocked or defined by age. And I think that that is powerful. Absolutely powerful. I think you are a powerhouse. I'm so stoked to have you on the podcast. I'm so stoked that I've played a part in your career journey and that you've played a big part in mine. And that was, that will always be something I'm super grateful for. So thank you so much. I'm excited for listeners to hear this and yeah, let us know what you think. Thank you so much. It was awesome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Lead With Less, the podcast for confident professionals with me, Tash Peterson. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. As a thank you, each month, one lucky reviewer will get a 45-minute one-to-one coaching session with me where you will get the tools and strategies to lead with less burnout, overwhelm, and self-doubt. And if you know anyone who could benefit from listening to the show, then please do share this with them and help me reach as many confident professionals as possible. Thank you.